Welcome back, warriors. My name is Pam Palmiter, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, and practices. Today, I'll be talking about water. Now, that might sound like a simple concept, but in fact, it's a very complex one. It's one that's spiritual, physical, biological, and even political. Indigenous nations all over the world have long incorporated water ceremonies into their practices as part of their gratitude for life-sustaining water sources like lakes and rivers. We all know that beings, whether they be humans, animals, fish, birds, insects, plants, and other organisms, need water to survive. In fact, water is the single most abundant chemical found in all living things. And literally, every chemical reaction in life depends on water. Sadly, however, capitalist ideas around water as a commodity have transformed some people to think of water only in economic terms, which then entwines water in this complex debate and struggle around economics and politics and law, which really loses focus. And that focus really should be on the core premise that water is life, and as such, it has to be protected as the foundation of our ecosystem. Even thinking about water uh, as a human right really ignores the fact that water is is the life-sustaining substance of not just humans, but plants and animals and insects, and it's associated with interdependent living. We all can't live without water. And obviously, I'm going to be totally upfront here. I'm not a scientist, I'm not a medical doctor, I'm not a dietitian or a biologist. I was raised with the knowledge that water is key to our health and well-being. I think most of us were. When you're sick, your parents would give you water or soup that was made of primarily broth. Um, When you're thirsty, you drink water. When you're involved in sports, you drink water. And in fact, I'm sure my kids are gonna laugh at me when they hear that this episode is actually gonna be about water because they literally think I'm obsessed with water and they have made fun of me their entire lives. Now, Mitchell and Jeremy are 26 and 24 now, but I I granted if you ever meet them, ask them about their mom and their her obsession with water. Because when they were younger, if they were hungry in between meals, I'd tell them, "Oh, you're just dehydrated." Go drink water. If they said they had a sore stomach or they had a headache, same thing. I'd say, I'll oh, just go drink some water. If they came to me and said, Mom, I'm bored. I can't think of anything to do. My response, you're just dehydrated. Go drink some water and your brain will start to become creative again. And literally, it was my answer to everything. If they fell down the stairs and scraped their knees or they got a leg cramp or a stiff neck, My loving motherly advice was always, go drink some water. Of course, their response was always just to roll their eyes at me and say, come on, mom, not everything is about dehydration. 
And I always responded, well, you should at least try drinking a glass of water and see if it works. 99% of the time, and this is just anecdotal, of course, they never came back after that first question. So I just assumed that it worked. And over the years, really, this whole idea that dehydration was the root of most of their problems has become a running joke with us. And they'd come home and say, oh, mom, I only got 70% on this test. I guess I must have been dehydrated. Or, oh, I can't believe we lost that basketball game in the last two minutes. The whole team must have been dehydrated, eh, mom? And I have to admit, that that actually did sound funny and we had lots of laughs about it and we still do. They even started using that line on me. I would come home and say, oh, they stopped our protest today. And they would say, oh, well, mom, your protesters must have been dehydrated. And so over the years, um, even though it was, you know, kind of a family joke, I'm a bit of a stubborn mom, but I felt totally right in my ideology that proper hydration is really the key to lots of ills. So over the years, I read lots about health, nutrition, and fitness, and I figured I was pretty solid in my research on water. But as I uh, got older, I decided to actually focus more on natural health, <clears throat> nutrition, and fitness, and I decided to enroll in some courses and get certified in natural health. And that's when I discovered, really scientifically and medically and based on all of this research, how incredibly integral water is, not just to life, but to actual good health. And there's a core difference there. It's not just, oh, I need water to survive or I'm going to die, but health. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm going to say I'm, I'm not a medical doctor or biologist, so, you know, make sure you get all of your medical advice from a doctor, but the scientific research is pretty solid. I mean, I learned, you know, what I learned from those courses and what I've learned from the research since is really that the saying, water is life, is just part of the equation. Water is really healthy life. Water is a longer life, a happier life, and a stronger life. And I think that's an important differentiation. I mean, when you look at it, biologically, water is needed to regulate your body temperature, lubricate your joints, uh, protect our spine and all the tissues, and, you know, eliminate waste through sweat, kidney, and bowels. And you can't underestimate the importance of eliminating wastes and toxins and foreign particles in our body given how much, you know, within our environment we are bombarded with things that are not good for our bodies. And we know that roughly our body is about 60% or more water. Our brain is about 70% water and even things like our eyeballs, like the majority of our eyeballs is water. That's why, you know, we can't live much longer than eight days or so without water. And that's assuming if you have food, but between the two, water or food, water is more essential to actual survival if you're in a life and death situation. And that's why there's been this general guideline throughout the years, and we've probably heard it all before that, you know, you should drink eight cups of water a day 
Now, obviously, that recommendation varies with age and gender, how active you are, the temperature outside, your health, if you're pregnant, all those kinds of factors. But generally, it's around eight cups of day. But here's a scary statistic. Doctors estimate that about 70, 75% of us are chronically dehydrated. Now, there's all different variations of dehydration. It could be mild, moderate, or severe, but the majority of us are chronically dehydrated. And chronically means on a regular basis, not just once in a while. And here's the other scary thing about that, is that the science has shown that even chronic dehydration, even when it's mild, can have adverse effects on the body, like the development of kidney stones. It can lead to everyday aches and pains. It's commonly associated with muscle cramps. And even when you get that stiff or sore, that pulled feeling uh, in your neck, often associated with chronic dehydration. But here's the other thing. So we're just talking about mild dehydration on any given day can be associated with a lack of concentration, fatigue, headaches, mood change, and even confusion. And so, you know, when I was, when I was doing these courses and looking at all of the studies that they'd done and, and saw that, you know, people make at least 12% more mistakes on tests even when they're like when they're dehydrated and that's significant think about if you you know combine the effects of dehydration uh with work and how productive or not you would be at work because other impacts of dehydration are reduced motivation reduced endurance and the perception of increased effort It's no wonder that some days it's hard to stay focused on work or get to the gym. Now, Oxford published some nutrition reviews that even showed that there is evidence showing that proper hydration can reduce urinary tract infections, chronic kidney disease, colorectal cancer, and even type 2 diabetes. So when you think about it, Water isn't just sustaining your life, it has a direct impact on the health of your life, the longevity of your life, and the quality of your life. And that is so important. So basically, I took these courses and they were well worth the money because the science has just reaffirmed my status as the all-knowing mom with my kids. Dehydration can hurt you. And it is the root of many of the daily aches and pains. I even found out that it leads to more injuries and the delay of healing those injuries. So every time they did fall down and scrape their knees, I bet you dehydration was at play because it impacts your balance, motor skills. You even need water for your wounds to heal properly. So basically, I was right all along, and my kids may laugh when they see the title of this podcast and think that this is just the running family joke, but they will learn the shocking truth about how I was always right when they listen to this podcast, so don't give them the heads up. I want them to hear this direct from the horse's mouth. 
And while there's many other factors that go into our health, clearly, it's not just about water, the studies seem to show that water is the foundation of health and strength and longevity and mood and happiness even. And here's the thing, you can get hydration from other liquids like coffee, tea, pop, fruit juice, and energy drinks, but the majority of those do not contribute to good health and in fact can contribute to bad health. And part of warrior living, remember, is about decolonizing our bodies. And so to decolonize our bodies means thinking about what we put into our bodies. So let's use pop. Does pop help or hurt our health? We all know by now, I think it seems to be common knowledge, that pop is bad for our health. There's lots of sugar in it, there's lots of chemicals, coloring, all those kinds of things that are not good for us. Water can only help it. And the fact of the matter is that water is the most important thing we can put into our bodies. Our ancestors lived strong, healthy lives on a foundation of water. So I think part of warrior living and this idea of decolonizing our bodies is looking at what worked for our, our ancestors. What about colonization? What came with colonization that has helped contribute to our ill health? Things like excessive sugar, things like chemicals in our food and drinks. So perhaps warrior living is maybe just focusing back on water. And remember too, that our ancestors engaged in various kinds of water ceremonies. I mean, indigenous nations all over the world had different kinds for different purposes at different times. Water ceremonies that celebrated that life begins in the mama's womb, surround, baby surrounded by water. Uh, ceremonies that gave thanks to and offered protection for certain water sources. Uh, where we got all of our water to drink from. They had a profound gratitude for the life-giving nature of water. But today, we know uh, that water is found in, a, in a, a wide variety of sources, many of which um, don't, have our, don't benefit from our protection as much as they used to in the past. We know water is found in like oceans, seas, waters, and lakes, but it's also found in ice caps and glaciers, in groundwater and the atmosphere. Now, we're all taught in school that, you know, 70% of the Earth's surface is water. And that sounds like a lot, and it is a lot. However, 97% of our water is actually found in oceans, and that's non-drinkable water. That means only 3% of our water are, uh, uh, is fresh water, and some of that is actually trapped in ice caps and glaciers. So it's a very small percentage of water that we have available, primarily groundwater, to access for fresh water to drink, uh, to drink with, and you know, this groundwater, I mean, it gets very complex geologically and scientifically, but you know, there's approximately 37 major aquifers, you know, that supply lots of different territories with their uh, fresh drinking water. 
But the, si- the current science says that about a third of them are stressed and 21 are very stressed. And by stressed, what they mean is that there is less water refilling the aquifer than is being taken out. And the most recent studies showed that eight of those have no water coming back in. That means at some point in time, it, it will come to an end. That aquifer will have no water left in it. And this is a concern. I mean, worldwide, we know the biggest drain on water sources is agriculture followed by industry. But that's worldwide. We know domestic use is the smallest, but this varies by country because take the United States, for example, which is part of Turtle Island. Um, They are one of the highest users of water. Almost 60% of the, the water that is taken up in the U.S. is taken by industry. Uh, chemical plants, manufacturing plants, a whole bunch of other plants, and 33% is agriculture. But in the United States and in other country, one of the biggest drains on water is the raising of beef, um, especially in places like the United States where there is such a heavy reliance on, on beef for food. But Taken all of these things together, we know that the depletion of our water sources comes not only from the mismanagement of the resource, because there is clearly human mismanagement of what's going on here. You know, that we would take an underground source of fresh water and use it for a water fountain, use it for a swimming pool, something that is not intricately connected to our ultimate survival. But our water sources are also threatened from pollution uh, in, in a significant way. Um, the pollution that comes from raising beef, the pollution that comes from uh, chemicals that are released into groundwaters and rivers, from agriculture, uh, the runoff, for example, but also from industry and in particular pipelines. Because while pipelines are not using water sources, they're often located near or adjacent to water sources. And we all know from the research and the statistical data that every pipeline leaks. It's not a matter of if, it's always a matter of when and how severe it will leak. And that's why pipelines have become such a target of concern because of the risk to our you know, slowly depleting fresh water sources. And that's why you see so many indigenous warriors, water defenders, water protectors, taking a stand to protect the health of our water sources. And you'll note whether it's in Canada, the US, or in other countries with indigenous peoples, these indigenous warriors, they're doing so in a peaceful way. They're trying to educate people. They're making a call to action to protect the, the precious water resources that we have left because we simply can't live without clean drinking water. You might be able to be rich from the oil that flows through a pipeline, but without clean drinking water, um, you're not gonna live very long. But neither are the plants and animals, and neither are the flowers, and neither are the food crops without safe water. I mean, and when you think about it, 
Fish breathe oxygen from within the water. Plants use water in that whole photosynthesis process to feed themselves. And bees, they have to drink water. I mean, and they're the ones that pollinate our flowers and help us grow our food. We are so intricately connected to water that we, we owe a huge debt to these indigenous warriors who are standing up to defend the water in the many and very different ways we know how. Some of our indigenous wa uh, warriors are doing research on how to protect water. Other indigenous warriors are, do are doing activism, uh, partnering with environmental groups, while others are literally boots on the ground saying, no, you're not going to put this pipeline here. I mean, in 2014, look at the Mi'kmaq Nation at El Sabuktuk. I mean, that's formerly the Big Coal First Nation in New Brunswick. They're part of uh, my nation that I came from. They took a huge stand against hydrofracking, and that was to protect their groundwater. So, you know, th these companies wanted to come in on Mi'kmaq, unceded Mi'kmaq territory, start doing hydrofracking. Uh, to explore for shale gas. And as we know, though, in order to do that, they pump a lot of chemicals into the ground, which contaminates groundwater, and which is why hydrofracking is banned in other countries in the world. But in the beginning, you know, these, these Mi'kmaq water protectors and land defenders, they were very much on their own until New Brunswick residents learned more and realized, Oh my goodness, if we contaminate our water sources, it's going to be contaminated for us and not just for the Mi'kmaq people. But that peaceful education process, call to action process, and, you know, assertion of our territorial rights in use or for the purpose of protecting our water sources was met with hundreds of RT RCMP SWAT people, snipers, there were violent arrests, uh, people that were imprisoned and charged for the sole purpose of literally just trying to protect our water sources. 2016 was huge. I mean, Everybody was talking about water because of the uh, land defense that was happening and the water defense that was happening and the Standing Rock Sioux uh, that kind of straddles the North and South Dakota border in the U.S. part of Turtle Island because they were taking a stand against the Dakota Access Pipeline, which was threatened to be built on, under, or around their water sources, their major, you know, rivers and, and groundwater sources. And they know the same information that everybody else knows. It doesn't matter how new or how much technology you use on pipelines, you're talking about guaranteed leaks and often catastrophic leaks. And they were saying not on our territories. And here's the thing, it was, it was such uh, an organic process, kind of like the Idle No More movement, where it was very organic and came together um, without any one individual leader, where these you know, uh, people from Standing Rock Sioux who are defending their water sources from this pipeline were joined by First Nations from all over Canada, 
uh, tribal governments in the U.S., that's the equivalent of our First Nations, and other indigenous nations all over the world, like Australia, New Zealand, um, Samoa, different indigenous nations who have the same concerns, who also have uh, water and land defenders, sent representatives there to join in unity for the sole purpose of protecting our water. And that's pretty significant. And we all know what happened with the Dakota Access Pipeline uh, situation. They sent in police and private security. I mean, they essentially massed an army dressed in fatigues with tanks and water cannons and instigators and undercover folks to try to cause problems and, and literally quash the growing resistance. And we watched this all happen on TV and on social media. It was, it was insane because these people are just protecting water. And, you know, shortly thereafter, uh, the Treaty Alliance formed. And, and for those of you who don't know the Treaty Alliance, um, just Google it online, the Treaty Alliance against uh, the Tar Sands expansion. Really, this is about hundreds of First Nations and tribal governments from Canada and the U.S. part of Turtle Island who signed a treaty as nations. So not as individuals, not as a petition, but really nation-to-nation treaty with the sole purpose of resisting pipelines, particularly the tar sand uh, pipelines, all over Canada and the U.S. part of Turtle Island. And this is for the express purpose of protecting lands and waters and, and people. And they specifically are targeting the Enbridge Northern Gateway Pipeline, Line 3, Trans-Canada Energy East, Kinder Morgan Trans-Mountain Pipeline, which I guess you could call Trudeau Pipeline right now. Because like I said, pipelines all leak and many of them have very destructive or catastrophic leaks at one point or another. But you know, it's not just pipelines, because in the same year, which I think Standing Rock was 2016, you had the um, land and water defenders active uh, at Muskrat Falls in the Atlantic region. And they were protesting against a hydroelectric, a hydroelectric dam. And their main concerns was that methyl mercury would uh, leak into the Churchill River and surrounding lakes and water sources at exceptionally high rates. Um, you shouldn't have any at all, but the high rates at which it would be contaminating water sources was enough to upset the indigenous and, and uh, non-indigenous allies there. But again, that land defense and water defense was met with uh, police enforcement and they even arrested and jailed an elderly indigenous woman in a men's maximum security prison. I mean, it goes beyond all reason that peaceful defenders who are sacrificing their time, their effort, potentially their freedom, risk of arrest to protect the water sources for all of our benefit. Yet so far, our actions in doing this are always met with violence or police intervention. So I think, you know, when we're thinking about water and what it means to live a warrior life, um, we need to continue to support our water defenders in their efforts to protect our water sources. I mean, it's 
why I did this podcast because it's important to know, you know, how important water is to us as individuals as well as it is to our ecosystem and to see that we're intricately uh, interdependent. And so living a warrior life includes, you know, decolonizing our minds um, to make sure we're not looking at water as a commodity to be bought and sold and traded on the stock market. But we see water for what it is. It's a critical component of life on Earth. And our water sources, as I already talked about, are already under threat. So we as Indigenous warriors need to protect what is left in whatever way we can, based on whatever skills we have. It could be sharing information on social media. It could be making donations to organizations that are helping protect the water. It could be teaching about this. It could be researching about this. It could be supporting those on the front lines or being on the front lines. There's no one way of being a warrior. But when it comes to water, we have to make sure that we're all contributing in some way because we can't live without it. And warrior living is also about what we are doing as individuals to decolonize our bodies. You know, warrior living is going back to a healthier way of living, grounded in proper hydration and the rejection of things that are harmful. We don't want to pour chemicals into our water sources. Why on earth would we pour chemicals into our own body? Warrior living, therefore, uh, takes all of these things into account and also includes nourishing our spirits. Maybe after listening to this podcast, we could think more about how can we revitalize our water ceremonies or our water teachings, our traditional indigenous knowledges around water sources and how to protect them, Um, doing our own research to learn more about our inherent connection as indigenous peoples and allies to our water and water sources. Because in the end, water is life. And without water, there will be no life. So it serves all of our purposes to think about how warrior living can contribute to protecting our water. Thanks everyone for tuning into my show. If this is your first time here, please consider supporting my podcast by subscribing, liking, or sharing each episode. I'm currently hosted on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and I'm working on other formats. Uh, Just send me a message, leave a comment, let me know what kind of topics you'd like me to cover. If there's other podcast hosting stations that you would prefer that I use. and any ideas or feedback about any of these podcasts. Until next time, keep pushing for